Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 323rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today I am joined not by an awards contender, but rather, once again, by an all-star panel of THR experts, this time to recap and dissect the 92nd Academy Awards ceremony, which took place on Sunday night in Hollywood. Here at the table with me, in alphabetical order, are Matt Bellany, our editorial director, Rebecca Ford, our awards editor, Stephen Galloway, our executive editor, Carolyn Giardina, our tech editor, and Rebecca Keegan, our senior editor of film. Thank you guys for being here the day after the insanity. So, is this like uh, the end of the holiday season where like you, we can now go into hiding for a few months? Well, I, I, <laughs> I mean, you, you. I hope so. Please. I hope so. You, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're literally yeah, you're the boss. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Stephen, let's start with you. This was an historic evening, the first non-English language Best Picture Oscar winner in the 92-year history of the Academy Awards. Parasite. We had a guy. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Gentlemen by the name of Bong Joon-ho leave with four Academy Awards, tying a record for a single evening record that's 66 years old. Walt Disney had been the only other person that had done that. This is a, an outcome that virtually nobody, including all of us, will excuse Rebecca Ford, who was not here the other day. None of us saw this coming. So how do we think this happened? couple things. First of all, these were the two favorite movies. Mm-hmm. One represented the outside of possibility, the other the inside of possibility. Uh, 1917 and, and Parasite had become the two frontrunners, as frequently happens. Let's go back to Moonlight versus La La Land. I think this happened because there's been a movement within the Academy membership, and I wrote about this a year ago, saying there's a split between the old membership and the new membership. And obviously, votes don't all vote uniformly, but that now means there's enough of a membership to vote for the avant-garde, the cutting edge, the international, as opposed to the history of the Academy, which is supporting studio films. That membership which has been growing for the past four years, which was consciously sought by the Academy leadership, is tipping the results. And you began to see it with Moonlight. You had the rear guard coming back when Green Book beat Roma. And now you've seen the internationalization of this ultra-American institution. And I'm thrilled about that because obviously 
I'm an international person myself. <laughs> um, well, Rebecca Ford, we have a situation here that almost causes whiplash to go from Green Book to Parasite in consecutive years. I feel like I need a neck brace. How does this – yes, what Stephen said is, is true. It seems like the internationalization of the academy has got to have played a big role in this. These are people – who are accustomed to seeing movies with subtitles. It's not necessarily a deterrent, but that's a big way to go in one year. Yeah, I think, you know, whenever I was at events leading up to this, any producer I talked to, Parasite was the one film that was, like, universally loved. No one had a problem with it. You know, no one had a criticism of it. And so when you're thinking about the preferential ballot, I assume it's ending up one, two, three on a lot of these votes, you know? And it just felt like... Bong was so charming. Everyone was so obsessed with him all season. He sort of ran this accidentally perfect campaign by being who he was the entire time. And it just felt like that combined with what Stephen's saying and sort of this anger that there were so little, there was so little diversity among the nominees, especially the acting nominees, all sort of just created this perfect storm for this. You wonder if another factor came into play, which is the late release of 1970. So a lot of people getting screens are putting at the top of their pile. But you have to assume that around the world there are many, many people who actually didn't get to see 1917 in time. And so maybe that also helped overseas with the vote for Parasite. Well, that's, that's certainly possible. And Carolyn, we've talked about the fact that some of the guilds even were apparently late to catching up with it. And so... Um, well, the nominations, the nominations some of them even. were announced before the movie ever began screening in some cases. Right. But all that being said, this was a movie in 1917 that, like La La Land, had dominated all of the precursors that supposedly matter and that have historically mattered. It won the top prizes of many of the guilds, including the director's which has been the best predictor of both director and picture Oscars. It won the producers, which is the only other one that uses a preferential ballot like the Academy for Best Picture. It won the Globes, the Critics' Choice, and BAFTA. So, Matt, nothing matters anymore. This is consistent with the Trump <laughs> oh, no. era. I hope not for your sake. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, my take on it is, is, is a variation on what Stephen said and a variation on what Rebecca said because – when you talk to voters this season, most of the people I talked to said, well, 1917 is going to win, but I really love Parasite. And these days, people vote with their hearts. They're not, they're not just voting a party line. They feel emboldened to vote for the movie they actually like the best, and that's what we got here. And Rebecca Keegan, the, I guess the, the real sign that this thing was heading in the direction it ultimately went was not – when Parasite won international feature, which everyone expected to happen, not even when it won original screenplay, which seemed fairly likely, but when director Bong beat Sam Mendes for director, which is the one where when there's been splits, that's the one that's typically gone to the filmmaker who's had what's seen as the more challenging you know, filmmaking challenge, which most of us thought perhaps would be seen as the, the one-shot film that he did with 1917. When that went to Parasite, as opposed to the preferential ballot where they've been voting with their hearts, it seemed kind of irreversible at that point. I guess you were you were walking you were all over the Dolby last night, both in the theater and then surveying the bars and everywhere else. What was your take on how people were reacting as the night went on? 
Well, I was mostly hanging out with the losers <laughs> who were very disinterested in the winners and what was actually going on. But it is true what Rebecca Ford said about Bong's remarkable charm offensive and how that kind of carried him through the season. I mean, I remember sitting with him at Telluride, like under a tree. He had just come in from the 17-hour flight from Seoul, and this was going to be his sort of North American introduction of the film. And he was just sort of tireless and cheerful and a wonderful spokesman for cinema in a way that Sam Mendes, while he had made a, a movie that many people admired, right. he was not around town. For one thing, he was finishing his film until November. Mm -hmm. And then they did a smattering of screenings, and then he kind of just went into seclusion. So he was not glad-handing yeah, or getting to know people. Yeah, just doesn't have that charisma either. I right. Mean, he's, a, he's a very different kind of a guy. Yeah. And I think people forget that this is a political campaign, mm -hmm. yeah. that every person you influence, every personal connection you have that you've made does matter when it comes to voting because people want that time with you. They want to see you with the Q&As. They want to meet you at that festival. And if you look, especially at the acting winners this year, with the exception of Joaquin Phoenix, who is his own person, mm -hmm. and that was a you know performance that transcended everything, the others are all people that have been around the industry a long time. Laura Dern is an industry kid who grew up, is on the Academy boards. Her, you know, she's out and about all the time. Brad Pitt, everybody, he's got 30 years of relationships. Mm -hmm. And Renee Zellweger has this amazing comeback story. They were out there pressing the flesh, talking to voters. And like in any political campaign, that matters. So how much, though, do we think this might have also been a reaction to the flack these guys took for a for coming very close to having another Oscar so white in terms of 19 of the 20 acting nominees being white, do we think that it might have been a consideration for Academy members that, hey, you know, this would be a nice way to prove that we are not what you are accusing us of being by giving by, by ending our night with a stage full of Asian people who we've never heard of before? Well, I think you saw it on Jane Fonda's face yeah. when she announced the winner. She was proud mm -hmm. to announce Parasite. Right. And I don't know that if she had announced 1917, there would have been that same level of, wow, we actually did it, guys. And that's fun. And the audience reaction even, the closest thing that I've seen to that reaction in the audience was when Moonlight was announced as the corrected winner. I guess, you know, I think it people, as you say, felt good about the outcome. But Rebecca Ford, do you think that, that it was actually a consideration of the voters? I don't think voters are picking this movie because they're reacting to there not being any acting nominations, that only one acting nomination that was an actor of color. Like, I don't think that is the reason. I think it's the desire to sort of reward what feels like more of a outsider, new, fresh sort of filmmaking and not the sort of predictable winner that we all kind of expected. You know, I, there's obviously a desire for more diverse stories to be rewarded. We saw that with Hair Love in the shorts category. But I don't, I don't want it to, it, it definitely is not like, oh, well, this is the way we reward diversity or something like that. It's really about this sort of unique auteur being I wouldn't. I would not Academy. detract from the love of Parasite. Right. That is why it won. People loved it. And were in love with it. I, I also want to say kudos to Mary Buxbaum, who led the yep. campaign, who's, a, as we all know, a terrific publicist, had seen it, had fallen in love with it, 
found bongs that I want to represent you and kept saying all the way through, this is going to win, this is going to win, this and is going to win. And it's not easy to sustain a film all the way from Cannes through the Oscars. It last happened with The Artist, but the last time a movie won the Palm at Cannes and then still hung in there, was popular all the way through to the Oscars and won Best Picture, was Marty that's nuts. In 1956. Right. Wow. That's nuts. So that just doesn't happen. So that's incredible. And I just want to also note just a fun bit of history. The first time the Academy, which has obviously historically been a very Hollywood-centric organization, the first time they awarded a non-American film, a British production, it was in English language, but non-American, the reaction in the room to Hamlet winning were audible gasps and boos because – it was almost an seen as almost an indictment of Hollywood filmmaking that we can't even keep up with the Brits. The reaction last night was seemed to me uniformly enthusiastic. Even if you go back and watch the clips of the defeated filmmakers who lost to Parasite, were thrilled by the success I, I of wouldn't Bond. Exaggerate. Well, no. Well, go look at uh, go look at what Greta Gerwig and Noah Bond. If you have to lose, this was a guy they were okay with losing yeah. to. Yes. But we're not. I mean, one thing to note here is that Bong is not a newcomer. This no. is a filmmaker who has had a, a great career up until now with films that people like Tarantino and Scorsese have all championed. So this is not some newcomer coming out of left field to take their prize. This is one of their peers. And he happens to be one of the foremost directors on the international film scene. So it's not like it's not like this is like some, you know, passing of the torch or something like that. Carolyn, even in categories where Parasite was not competing, 1917 did not do as well as it was expected to do. I mean, it basically ended up winning just three awards, which were cinematography for Roger Deakins, which was a foregone conclusion, sound mixing, but not sound editing, which was a bit of a surprise, and visual effects, which was not a slam dunk, but it did not do that well, period. And I wonder if you've had a, any indication from Blow the Line crowd of did you have any warning that that wasn't going to do as well with them? Um, yes. I think if you looked at how the individual organizations, what they nominated mm -hmm. and what they awarded during the season, we weren't seeing 19, with the exception, again, of cinematography <laughs> primarily, um, we weren't seeing that. The nominees and the winners were much more varied in the different categories. I would flag sounds particularly um, because it always felt like that was going to go to either Ford versus Ferrari or 1917. And with the split, this was the third time in the last six years that two different movies won the two sound categories. And that's something that we, we actually should be talking about and paying attention to at a time when the Academy is considering the possibility of merging those two categories into one. Right. Matt, the ratings have now come in. It was... Uh disaster in in that regard i mean the show people seem to have varying feelings about how the show was itself but the bottom line is it's the lowest rated oscars telecast ever and not by a little amount by, by a lot. lot i mean they lost six million viewers from last year they lost three million viewers from the previous all-time low the show is now at 23.6 million viewers which is barely better than the golden globes so well to what do we attribute this is it do do they need a host do they need more popular movies, you know, just where do they go from here? In my opinion, I think they need an overhaul of the show. The format is not compelling to modern audiences. They need to jettison some categories off the show. Mm -hmm. As unfortunate as that might be for those people, I think the shorts categories should probably not be on the live telecast. Mm -hmm. 
they need to really think about this. And also, I think there are other factors as well. A lot of the country does not like politics at award mm-hmm. shows. And what did this show start off with? It started off with Brad Pitt talking about impeachment and the Republicans. It started with Steve Martin and Chris Rock having a very political monologue, which I loved and I thought was hilarious. But a lot of the country doesn't like that. If you saw it at the Globes, people liked Ricky Gervais outside the room. Inside the room, eh, not so much. But the Globes ratings were steady because Ricky Gervais was seen to be poking fun at Hollywood. Well, to your point, I just want to read an email I got from one voter from the actors branch this morning. And it's, it says, among other things, I don't want to be preached to. I don't know what that Korean film is, which is a, not a nice way of putting it. But I don't know these people that are winning turned off after Wait, that what? man. He doesn't know who Brad Pitt is? No, I mean, I think we're talking. We know who they're talking about here. Ah. Uh, turned off after that man came out in a dress, which I assume was Billy, Billy Porter. Porter yeah. What happened to American films and why are these women complaining about everything? Oh my God. Okay, well, that's ridiculous. That is, I mean, that is an extreme example. But I think the sentiment of being lectured to by Hollywood is out there. And when the speeches get politicized like that, I think there is a segment of the audience that tunes out. I'm curious what others think because I happen to like when people use their platform for activism and I think it can make a big difference. And there's a long history of, of Hollywood people doing this. But it's not popular. Well, are the people who are complaining though people who would have ever watched the Oscars in the I first think place? So. Yes. Yeah. When you're look, when you're talking about an event with this kind of tune-in, when you're above twenty million, thirty yeah. million, sometimes, yeah, you are. I mean, I'm curious what others think. I definitely got texts from people who did not like the politics, people who don't work Mm -hmm. in Hollywood and are just regular viewers. I also think it would have helped if Beyonce or J-Lo were there or some more stars who draw a broader, younger audience and make it feel like more of an event. I think this show really suffered for the lack of that kind of star power. I don't think any of the musical numbers were something that people felt like were going to be must-sees, and that is really key. Yeah, I wonder, that is a good point about the, everybody who's commented about the show from our reviewer to others has said that almost all of the songs, including the one that won by Elton John, were completely unmemorable. And I just wonder if that particularly, if they want to make music such a central part of the show, if they need to then reevaluate how they select their nominees in those categories because they're just not cutting it. Well, compare it to last year when you had that amazing Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper performance. And that was a moment. They specifically had held Bradley Cooper back from any performances of that song with her. And they debuted it on the Oscars. Everybody knew it was going to happen, and it delivered. I would bet that the 6 million viewers that this show lost to last year, I'd bet a good portion of that are people that just didn't feel any urgency. There was nothing, no must-see moment. Well, and I think they tried to create one with Eminem, which was fairly, it was great, but fairly random. You could see even with Janelle Monet at the beginning, just it, they're, they're trying to make something work that their nominations are not providing them. Now, remember the last time the Academy had horrible ratings, they followed up by suggesting the creation of the popular Oscar, which was much mocked at the time, but just tabled. It's not gone away. So right. At some point, that will probably come back in conversation. I don't know if that will make a difference because a lot of these nominations were popular films. Joker did spectacularly well, Once Upon a Time. This wasn't 25 years ago where you only had indie films. And there were stars. Well, the, the, the people have complained, and I get it, that the presenters 
some of them, they even we who cover this business, I, I believe this it's correct to say we've never heard of some and of them. And I don't understand why the Academy has failed to deliver superstars. You know, what you want is a mass of superstars flooding on stage, not a few TV stars and one or two well-known names. So another issue that here's an uh, email today from the sound branch, somebody from the sound branch who's saying, quote, instead of the Academy trying to shuffle off to the creative art show categories like sound editing and mixing together or combined and shorts so that they can have a more entertaining TV show, they should consider revamping the Best Picture Award and stop tiered voting, which lets more second place votes actually carry more weight than the First place. I mean, there, there, there are people. Everybody's thinking about what to do with these categories. What people from the sound branch have said to me, Carolyn, is like, all right, if you want to combine sound editing and sound mixing, that's fine. But go ahead and combine original and adapted screenplay as well, and let's just cut across the board. Don't just pick on these smaller categories. But I do think it makes yes, sense. Yes, it's, it's going to bring up all of those yeah. conversations. And and maybe what it really boils down to is people don't have the attention span in 2020 for a three and a half hour show. If if what, however you cut it down, maybe that's a big part of the problem. But the Globes did okay, and they're three hours still, right? There's something about this show that definitely needs yeah, to be Yeah, there's a big difference between the Globes and the Oscars. The Globes right. is only stars. Yeah. It's film and TV, and it's only stars. There's not that hour and a half middle section where it's people you've never seen getting awards for things you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And an awfully long lead-up before you see an award given. What the Glows had is somehow the surprise factor with the opening. What's the guy going to say? And so I better tune in to hear what he's going to say, whether I approve or disapprove the host. The Globes also has a football lead-in, and (laughs) the Oscars does not have that. And I think that's a big factor when it comes to people tuning into live events on television. I mean, we have the elephant in the room here is that many people do not even have a cable subscription anymore, Mm -hmm. much less, you know, a must-see TV tune-in time. you got to get people to tune into a live event on on TV. That's tough. Well— I guess the Academy has a lot to think about as far as the telecast, but in terms of this time next year, how do we, do we think that the rollout plans of contenders are going to be affected by the fact that Parasite came out so early and did so well, or, or was unveiled so early and did so well, that you then had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood come out in the summer and hang on all the way to the end, and that 1917, which came at the very end, did not end up doing that well? Do we think that things are going to move up or because the Oscars itself are now going to move back later into February, is all of this just irrelevant? It would certainly be healthier for the movie business if they staggered the movies rather than jamming them all into December mm-hmm. as they like to do. So I like it when a movie that came out earlier in the year does well. It's mm-hmm. just it's just better to space things out. But there are two types of movies. There are commercial audience pleasers where your, your prime goal is to get it out at the best time of year. That's what Once Upon a Time and Joker were. And then there are the ones that depend for their economics on the awards race and all the attention, the free publicity they're given. And that's not going to change. They're going to be out in the fall. So if you're releasing Shape of Water or Moonlight or La La Land, you're saying, I need to ride the coattails of, of the roundtables and the interviews and the cover stories that are part of the awards race because it's free. And honestly, I would make the argument that 1917 is the big winner of this award season, even though it didn't win Best Picture, because it rode that wave of awards interest into becoming a massive blockbuster. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a $100 million movie that if it doesn't deliver and doesn't get that awards attention, might have died on the vine. Yeah, no stars. And it would be very interesting to see now if it actually 
disappears at the box office. Mm-hmm. Whereas Parasite, you know, will do phenomenally well. Yeah. We've seen this before it's with exploding. Green Book, other Oscar winners. They get that huge box office coattail. I don't know if 1917 will at this point. Any parting thoughts about Netflix ending up with just two Oscars out of 24 nominations or anything else that we've been talking about over the last few weeks that we now have answers to? I'm so sick of talking about the Netflix factor. I just, I mean, the thing is, yes, The Irishman was shut out, but Martin Scorsese was shut out at two previous Oscars, Wolf of Wall Street and for Gangs of New York, and he also had 10 nominations for Gangs of New York. Mm -hmm. So sometimes he just doesn't get it. Well, is the game then... To just get as, you know, you fight for the nominations and then throw your hands up and say what happens, whatever <laughs> happens with wins. Because the reality is, you know, I think you can't, a campaign can affect nominations a lot more than it can affect wins. I, By that I agree point, with you. Right? People have made up their minds. I, I want to make a defense of Netflix. These films would not be made otherwise. And whether they're to our personal taste or not, they're terrific films. So I'm glad somebody's making them and giving them that attention. Mm-hmm. And for the old school academy to reject that is a mistake. The world is changing. Thank heaven somebody's making quality dramatic movies. Yeah, they're not, they're disappeared, these mid range from. from but there school. was a backlash this year. Sure. And there is the old academy backlash and the desire, which I, I share, to see films on a big screen. But first of all, get them financed. But I also do wonder if it's a backlash to the level of aggressive campaigning yeah, and swag and all of that. You know, you see what Parasite did, and they were light in those areas yeah, and strategic, but then Netflix is every day a different piece of swag shows up or a different event, you know? and But that's uh, us as press. Voters at Voters Academy, saw it, too. Voters saw it, too. Yeah. They, they went overboard. And I think that you might see them pull back a little bit on the events that they were doing, these custom events, and, you know, doing a full-on makeover of a street in New York to plug the Irishman, like, that's a, like, why? Why do you need like that? Lot, yeah. They just want to, I mean, or you could make the argument that it doesn't matter. All this is about is telegraphing to filmmakers, we care about you. Mm-hmm. We can't get yes. your movie into theaters, but we can give you everything else you could ever want. Including $165 million or more <laughs> to make your movie. I want to say just one last point, which is the show was fairly mediocre, not a great resounding cry for the Academy. But my God, it's phenomenal, this organization. In an age of jingoism and nationalism and prejudice and anti-immigrant feeling, voted for a South Korean film and gave it four major Oscars, including Best Picture. I think it is one of the most vindicating things for this organization I've ever seen. Well, there's there's that reason for some optimism. And then there's one other, which is that that foreign film, you know, international film, it could have been like last year, it could have been Roma and it would have had a massive amount of spending behind it. And it would have, you could have argued it was sort of, you know, you wore people down and it won. This was pushed by Tom Quinn, who runs Neon, a little, little operation that's only been around a couple of years. They started really with I, Tanya. And they've now vanquished all of the major studios, which were in the game. Universal with 1917, Sony with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Warner Brothers with Joker, on and on. That also, I think, is is pretty reassuring that it really, it's it, you know, there was a time when Oscars, there was a greater sense that through block voting or spending or other things, the big studios were just going to, you never had a chance against the big studios. That is clearly no longer the case. Yeah. One of the funniest moments I saw last night in the bar was when 
Netflix film chief Scott Stuber and Sony's chief Tom Rothman had this like frenemy handshake. <laughs> and they were both having like not, I mean, not great nights. I think um, Rothman went four for 20 and Stuber went two for 24. And I just, you know, it was fascinating to see like Tom Quinn, this little engine that could mm-hmm. just collecting prize after prize and hear these guys running these giant companies were just kind of like shrugging yeah. in the bar. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked all season about how Netflix and the streamers were uh, replacing the traditional Hollywood studios. And then here you have a, a traditional indie who, you know, by most accounts are being pushed out of the market, really reassert itself. Well, no, as we look ahead yeah. um, for next year, one thing we should be watching for Netflix is the impact that it will continue to have in the animation area. Mm-hmm. This was the first year that it had animated features in the race, and it had two of the five nominations. Klaus, which was their first original produced animated feature, and I Lost My Body, which they acquired right after Can Frozen 2 did not get nominated. Uh, G-Kids, which typically has a nomination in the batch, didn't have a nomination this year. As we move forward into next year, I think we should be watching to see what kind of impact they continue to have on that particular category. And that next award season has already gotten underway. We've got a few things, not a lot, but a few things with some buzz out of Sundance. We've got Today in the email, an animated feature from Pixar that's going to be premiering soon that they have some hopes for. It never stops, and uh, neither do we. So thank you guys all for coming in and talking about it. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's series regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.